Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. chatter podcast my name is just ray and uh, don't forget to comment like share our show um tonight we have a special guest from ucla school of public affairs i hope she can correct me if i'm wrong uh miranda dr miranda Gavier. um so we're going to talk about politics tonight i'm sure you're watching the debate so I, i thought i'd bring her on to have some clarity or bring some clarity to politics so without further ado um do I call you doctor or can I just call you Miranda? You can call me Miranda. And just a quick clarification, I'm in the School of Public Health, not Public Affairs. But, um, okay, yeah, you're more than welcome to call me Miranda. <laughs> no worries. Okay, 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 okay. So, um, Miranda, tell us a little bit about yourself before we go into the questions, and we'll talk about the pink elephant in the room, the debate tonight. Yeah, I'm a political scientist. I did my Ph.D. in political science and American politics uh, from Columbia University. And then I was teaching courses on American politics and constitutional law at Yale and Tufts universities. And now I'm doing health policy research at UCLA. And prior to being in academia, I worked on some political campaigns, including um, Barack Obama's. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> Big time guest here. All right. <laughs> So what got you into it as a child? Like, what, did you look at the television and you're like, ooh, I want to do that? What what prompted that? So I was I grew up in Berkeley, California, which is, you know, a very politically progressive city. And I basically grew up surrounded by politics. My grandmother worked for the uh, governor of California. Um, my mom worked at the United Way of the Bay Area, so I grew up helping out at homeless shelters and food banks, that sort of thing. Um, the first political news I watched, um, or that I remember watching, uh, was um, you know uh, was Rodney was Rodney King, and that was stuff that really mm. um, was injustice injustice that really resonated with me. And that, um, so you know, starting at age you know four or five, I was I was a political junkie to the extent that someone can be at that age. And, and I remember watching the 1992 presidential election results. And then the next day thinking I was the official purveyor of political news and running around my elementary school, informing everyone that Bill Clinton had won. So I, um, I was very involved from an early age. And then I started working on political campaigns in 2004, well, 2003. Um, but you know, the 2004 cycle uh, working for John Kerry, Uh, And my mom and I would volunteer on the campaign together. I was probably doing 25 hours a week on top of school. And I just really loved it. 
And so I became a political science major in college when I was at Berkeley and um, ended up working on some campaigns between during college and between college and grad school and really liked teaching and really liked politics. So I decided going into political science academia was, was a good fit. So here I am. Wow. So, okay. So you get a political science degree, like a bachelor, right? Doctorate? Mm-hmm. Like yep. what's, what's, what's that? Like, what is like, what is that? Is that like, um, yeah. <laughs> Tell me where to so start. So a PhD, in, yeah. So I, I have a doctorate in political science. A PhD is is several years after college. Um, it's actually political science academia is not as like current events politics, but it's a lot of quantitative analysis. I do a lot of survey okay. research as well as data collection on Congress and courts and things like that. But um, but you know, basically, PhDs are really about research de- research degrees. It's it's training you how to be a really good scholar of political science, how to research questions really well, and so then you write you do a couple years of coursework, and then you write a dissertation, which can be a set of papers or it can be a book. Um, I wrote a book. Um, it's not published because I have sort of shifted my research agenda um, toward health policy, um, but. Um, but I've published parts of it. Um, but basically, uh, you're trained to be a political science researcher and teacher. And so I've been teaching classes in, in American politics for, for the last few years at a very interesting time to be teaching American politics, I might add. Yes. <laughs> I concur. <laughs> just, just a smidge. Just a smidge. Wow. Okay. Um, so... For me, right, like, or just the average person, um, mm-hmm. where, like, if I wanted to understand it on a level that I can, like, I don't know, function, like, where would I start yeah. to understand politics? Because I mean, like, there's the alderman, there's a councilman, and like, is there like, is there a book or that like sums up everybody's title and how they function? Like, where would I start at? So whenever there is an election cycle, I always recommend that people go to Ballotpedia um, because that's going to show you everything that's on your ballot, and that's going to describe the position for which people are running, and it's going to show the pros and cons of each of each position. And it's especially okay. complicated here in California because in addition to electing um, let, uh, local leaders, we also have propositions, and so we get to... Uh, you know, we get to be bombarded with ads about things that don't have Democrat or Republican next to their name, but we actually have to think about, okay, should should these people be allowed to vote or should we um, raise taxes on this or, or that or the other thing? Um, so being able to go to places like Ballotpedia, to League of, Con- League of Women Voters, um, uh, being able to find whatever nonpartisan information you can about these offices is going to go a long way. But what I like to tell people um, to start with, when, when they're not sure if they need to care about politics, because that's something that right. people, um, you know, you know, there's like, I, I really love sports. Well, I love sports too. Uh, well, I want to be able, you know, politics is really confusing and it's really divisive. Why do I need to care? And at the end of the day, politics affects everyone because we breathe air. Well, how is this air regulated? Those are things that are affected a lot based on who is in power, whether it's a Democrat or Republican. We all are human. We all get sick. 
are we going to be able to have health care and what kind of health care um, do we, what kind of health coverage do we have? Um, these are all things that, that fund, and, you know, if we work for, for a living, you know, do we, are we part of a union? Um, do we have representation when we need a, when we need um, a raise? Or you know things like that. Um, so these are all things that fundamentally affect us in tons of ways um, in our daily lives. And so that's what I really like to hammer home to my students in the why should you care about about these positions? And a lot of it has to do with who's the president, but a lot more of it has to do with who is winning in these state and local races. Oh wow. Okay. So can we back up a minute? You sure. Uh, propositions. So you have everything on your ballot. You have like your presidents, your senators, and all. Mm-hmm. What? Okay, it's like for instance, something that comes to mind is Prop Twenty Two, right? Is there a yeah. prop, prop Twenty One? Is there a Prop Ten? Mm-hmm. Like, but where does that come into play, and what is that exactly? So there, um, pretty much every state has some form of direct democracy. Uh, there and basically the way it works is each state is going to have some sort of a signature requirement uh, where and this is why when we go to the grocery store at least pre-COVID you would often you know see people gathering signatures and then you say I'm not interested I don't know enough about this and then they'll say no we just need to get it on the ballot that's what they're doing they're trying to get proposition 17 or proposition 19 or proposition 22 onto the California state ballot. Now, a lot of times, sometimes what propositions are doing is amending the state constitution. Um, so that was, um, that was what Proposition 8 did, Proposition 8 having to do with prohibiting same-sex marriage, but then the Supreme Court obviously um, said that same-sex marriage was protected. Um, but so some of these things uh, amend uh, the state constitution and others are essentially an alternative to legislation. Uh, so if, for example, it's hard to get something passed by the legislature, they don't want to do something, you can say, well, to hell with you guys, we're going to take it to the American public or to you know, the California electorate. And so that's sort of, that's one mechanism that, that voters have when their representatives aren't listening to them and getting something done. Um, but then there's the issue of how do we know what information is credible and how should, how should we be voting on this proposition. And a lot of it, um, what I always recommend that people do in these cases is to look at who's endorsing which side. Um, so endorsements can tell you a lot about, which, about uh, um, an amendment. So is, is a health care provision being endorsed by the insurance side or is it in, endorsed by the, you know, the care provider side, for example, you know, is, is something being endorsed by, you know, a corporation or is it being endorsed by teachers and, and things like that. Um, but those are, those are one kind of signal that we can, that we can look at when we're dealing with propositions, which can get really complicated really quickly. Okay. So, you know, that's interesting that you say that. So brings me to my next point. So, as a business owner or a person that runs an LLC, like where, mm-hmm. where is that gray line crossed as far as like, if I'm a business owner, like as far as like my money or my revenue, like to change policies and whatever, where, where, does it, where do I cross that line at? Like what, a, 
Yeah, that's it. Because you know how you have reunions, and then you have, like, people that have, like, businesses that have, like, 30-plus people, and then they're just like, oh, I'm mm-hmm. giving money to this this senator or this council, councilman to get him in because I'm zoned in this 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 or certain area to get something passed, a law passed, so I can do X, Y, and Z. Like, where does mm-hmm. that – I hope I'm not, like, you know – you know, repeating myself, but yeah. Yeah. So I, I want to be clear that I'm I'm not an expert on small businesses. Um, you know, it's this is not my area. That's not my uh, particular area of expertise. Right, right, right. But one one thing that we so small business owners, um, business owners in general, have a lot of reason to to care about politics and to be involved in politics. Obviously, some um, some policies are going to have an impact on their on their financial um, financial standing. You know, tax rates are going they are going to vary based on different kinds of plans. But then we can also and and there can be some tension between business and labor. Um, you know, when you are when you're talking about a labor organization uh, trying to increase wages, um, well, that's going to come where that that money is going to come from somewhere. On the other hand, it could mean that you're going to have a more productive workforce that's more invested in your company. Um, there's also healthcare. So healthcare, healthcare insurance, health insurance is going to be costly for the employer. That's absolutely correct. But what's going to happen when employer when employees can have access to healthcare? Well, they might be healthier. They might have fewer sick days because they're not waiting to go to the doctor until things get really bad. And so there, there's, you know, there's not, there's no party that's going to give you everything that you want, um, but there are a lot of trade-offs, and I think that the more that people consider the the nuances of of these decisions, and and try to get the best uh, information, hopefully from multiple sources, because every source has. Mm, okay, so. And thinking that. about how 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 employee well-being is probably going to contribute to to better outcomes for for our workforce is, is I think worth considering. So, way before we get into the whole debate thing, so let's talk about like voting. Um, mm-hmm. Do you? Okay, I'm I'm going to ask a question that our our audience is probably wondering. Do you do you feel that voting matters like in this political climate? Like today, does yes. it even matter? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, what so makes you say I, that? Because I mean, the reason why. Okay, I'm I'm asking like objectively because some people are just like it's going to get manipulated anyway, or mm-hmm. I, my vote doesn't count. So, where where do you stand on that, or how would so, you? Right. So one one big reason why a lot of people will say that their vote doesn't doesn't matter is because uh, they're in a really big state. And so, you know, something like California or Texas or New York, where their their vote isn't going to have a whole lot of power relative to someone in Wyoming. Um, Right. Or they're they're sort of going, well, the Electoral College is, is, you know, um, obscures some of, of this political power. Well, that can be true in, to some degree, but we can go back to propositions. We can go back to local races where some of these things are decided by one percentage. Um, so there are a number of propositions that can get very, very close. 
And you're already in the voting booth, so why not vote all the way <laughs> vote all up and down the ticket? The other reason right. why um, why voting matters is that politicians pay attention to people who vote. So there's a lot of political science research to support that politicians are going to be more responsive to people who are wealthier, people who are more educated, because those are people who can donate and who vote. And so if you, if people, um, and this makes sense, they have a finite amount of time, they have a finite amount of resources, it's going to be, um, it's not going to be as helpful for them to pay attention to the concerns of someone who is just fundamentally not going to show up on the, on election day. So mm-hmm. if you, um, you know, if you vote, they're going to have more incentive, if it's, especially if a demographic group votes. They're going to have more incentive to pay attention when you have a concern about health care, if you have a concern about education, if you have a concern about roads or environmental uh, standards that are that are affecting you and your community. Um, so so and at the end of the day, also, you know, our our democracy depends on our participation. It's not a spectator sport. And even if you think that my individual vote isn't going to tip the scales in California, well, you're probably right. But thinking about the, cumul- the cumulative effects of everyone saying that, you know, we, we, can't, we can't simply sit on the sidelines, especially when there's so much at stake in this election. And I do believe that democracy is on the ballot this election. Mm. Okay. All right. So, um, uh, so, so we have that. We got the voting. So today's political climate, because I don't know me personally, just from observation and being around and just watching politics, you have the Obama era and then you have the Trump era. It seemed like there was like you could see the difference between democracy and the Republican. Like, what do you? How do you see it now? Like, do you see the difference or? Do you see a difference? Uh, the or is political it more climate now? under under the political climate under Obama versus Trump. Well, I mean, like after the fact, because Bush era, you knew who. Okay, you knew who was who was white and who was black, for lack of better words. Yeah. Now it seems like you right. can't really tell like who's fighting for what and where you should. How do you do you see it the same way, or how do you see it right now? I mean, I would say that the the distinction between the parties has never been clearer because, okay. you know, we have one we have one side that is saying that we need to uh, protect democracy, that we shouldn't have foreign interference in our elections, that we should safeguard voting rights and that we should respect the peaceful transition of power and accept the election results no matter who wins. And we have another party that won't commit to any of those things. We have one party that is um, trying to expand health coverage. We have another party that is literally arguing in the Supreme Court on November 10th that the entire Affordable Care Act should be struck as unconstitutional and they don't have a replacement. And we can think about some, we have one party that is tried to separate, that has separated families at the border um, and another one that is trying to have um, a pathway to citizenship. And we can think about so many different other examples. Uh, so mm-hmm. I think that the party, the, the party differences are really striking right now. I think the challenge is, you know, finding some, 
I think for some people who are maybe less naturally politically inclined is finding some voice that is less um, polarized because we are a very polarized society right now. I'm sure I don't need to tell you or your listeners mm-hmm. that. Um, right. And, you know, sort of finding people who really speak to us. Um, if if those if the people who you're seeing in Congress are not um, someone who you who you relate to, but I think that when you when you look at where the where the two parties stand, it's it's very different. It's just a question of what happens to the people in the middle. Mm. So, oh, so two questions I want to ask uh, before we get into the the meat and potatoes. Um, can you define the electoral uh, college in layman's terms? Yeah, so um, so basically, uh, uh, so each state has a certain number of electors that's based on the population, and uh, so there are some, and then there's an increasing push for uh, a compact where if they, if the states are uh, basically that the states will go in the direction of the popular vote, but that's not how it works at the national level. So basically there's a popular vote in the electoral college. The electors are assigned based on population, and then they all go to the winner of the state um, as opposed to proportionally, although I think that there are a couple of states that do proportional, um, uh, Nebraska and Maine and maybe one other. Um, mm-hmm. And then after the general election, there's the these electors uh, are supposed to – cast their votes that are consistent with with how their state is voted. Um, now the challenge now on the one hand what big um, it offsets essentially the popular vote in the sense that it means that politicians have to campaign in states where they w- might not otherwise because if they only had the popular vote um, then they might only pay attention to California, Texas, New York, um, places like that. The challenge of course is that it dilutes the power of some of these big states. And the Electoral College historically was meant to preserve the institutions of slave states, that basically the northern states, uh, when our Constitution was being um, designed, the northern states were a lot more populous. And so uh, the south, uh, well, I shouldn't say that, they were much more populous with respect to people who were eligible to vote. Um, that's an important distinction, um, but basically, all of the so much of the voting power was in the north when the constitution was being designed, and so the electoral college was very much a compromise with southern states that were slave states. Uh, they were trying to ensure that there would still be power safeguarded for these southern states, uh, but we still have these. But institutions are sticky, as we say. Um, that we have these institutions carried over, even though um, public, public support is not really aligned with preserving the Electoral College. And in many of the last few elections, you know, in both the 2000 election and in the 2016 election, the popular vote in the general and the Electoral College uh, went in different directions, and that's been really consequential for our country. Wow. Okay. So I think that's it. Okay. Um, and then, secondly, as a minority, what's mm-hmm. future for? What kind of policy should I be lo- looking into? Just for my own reference, for my own like, I don't know, well-being or just keeping an eye out for. 
like as far as like anything? Well, I, um, you know, I, I try not to be in the habit of telling people which issues they should care about because we all have well, our well, pet not, well, policies. Care about, but just but, to keep an eye on. Yeah. Um, so, um, so one issue that everyone, regardless of their uh, age, their race, but um, uh, everyone should be focusing on health care because even if we're okay. healthy today, it's no guarantee that we'll be healthy tomorrow. We could okay. get hit by a car uh, when we're, you know, going to the grocery store and we could get an injury and that could require surgery. You know, like there, there are so many things that we just can't control in life. And health care is one of the biggest dividing points between the parties where one party okay. – um, it has been fighting to expand Medicaid, uh, expand coverage, um, and the other party is literally arguing at the Supreme Court that we should take away coverage from tens of millions of people. Um, another issue that is that is should be really important to a lot of people is voting rights. So in 2013, the Supreme Court held a decision called Shelby County versus Holder in which the Supreme Court essentially gutted the Voting Rights Act. Uh, they said that states that were covered by the Voting Rights Act no longer had to go through what's called preclearance, which means that they no longer have to petition the Department of Justice for, for permission to enact restrictive voting laws. And so that's what we've seen in North Carolina, in Georgia, in Texas, where southern states are in, and Florida uh, they're enacting really restrictive voting laws because they no longer have to go through the Department of Justice. And mm. so these are so when we look at things like voter ID where there or signature verification requirements where if you have a more hurried signature in one place um, or you know and not in another or uh, an exact match law where it has to be exactly the same in both places where in one place I might have my just my first and last name, Miranda Yaver, but in another place I might have my middle name as well, Miranda Elise Yaver. Well, that could get knocked out as in, as in, because it wouldn't be an exact match, for example. So oh. all of these things are aimed at stripping, uh, at essentially cutting the voting rules, and these, th- these are policies that disproportionately affect poor people and people of color. Um, so that's a huge one. Um, and then third, and this is something that's been in discussion a lot uh, amid the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, is criminal justice. Um, and in my view, specifically consent decrees, uh, which essentially just meant that when there, was, um, when there were problems within a police department, such as racial profiling or implicit bias problems, um, shooting, you know, disproportionate shootings of people of color, uh, there would essentially just be federal review of these of these police departments, and this was something that the Trump administration has gotten rid of or undermined significantly from the Obama administration. Um, mm-hmm. And it doesn't take a lot of digging through the news of the last few years um, to see the importance of overseeing police departments that are having problems with respect to racial bias, whether um, mm-hmm. whether intended or not. Wow. <laughs> Some heavy stuff. Uh, yes, there's a lot of heavy okay. stuff in politics these days. <laughs> I wish it were serious. Oh man. Okay. Now let's get to the, the the big stuff. So the debates. 
with an S. Like an analysis on it, on your thoughts and take, and we can have a discussion about that right now. <laughs> sure. Um, so on the vice presidential debate. No, the, the or the presidential, the presidential debate. The yeah. first, let's start with part one. Okay. The presidential. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So um, you know, I think that the two biggest headlines from the presidential debate, other than the president might have had knowingly had COVID during it. Um, is oh, no. the president refused refused to condemn white supremacists, and he refused to con- to um, agree to a peaceful transition of power. And those are questions that should really be easy for anyone to answer. Do you condemn white supremacists, and will you commit to a peaceful transition of power? Are, in my view, like the ultimate freebie questions. You know, these are these are like brownie points. You know, it's just like these right. shouldn't be these should not be difficult things to answer. And these are both things to which the president wouldn't commit. And then you know, there's the obvious temperamental issues of you know unwillingness to cooperate with the terms of the debate. But but in my view, you know, that's par for the course with the president. He he really debates the debate process, but I think that the real headlines are are those substantive issues with respect to white supremacy and the democratic process. Mm, yeah. And, what, um, what were you, what were you what were your impressions of the debate? Well, it okay. Let's talk about the structure of the debate. It wasn't really that professional as like what I'm used to seeing. Like you know you you're you're asked a question, you answer it respectively, and then you're you're uh, Competitor does the same thing, but they it just seemed like look like two old guys fighting on their lawn. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, it it was not the the word debate is um, it, I'm not even sure if the word debate is even that appropriate. No, but what it happened. applied. <laughs> so, yeah, um, stuff wasn't really answered, and it just seemed like. Like, I'm not telling our artists to pick a side or anything like that, but just from observation, just looking at it objectively, it looked like Trump mm-hmm. was just attacking, and then it looked like Biden was trying to, like, come back and say stuff back. Biden was really, like, about policy, and, like, Trump was about, like, you know, stuff that he heard or just throwing out dirt on him, and they were just going back and mm-hmm. forth. Biden looked tired, and just Trump would just seemed like he was just throwing punches. Yeah. That's pretty yeah, much what it, it looked was, like. Um, it kind of felt like one, I mean, it really felt like one person was there to throw punches and the other person was there to debate policy. And those two things don't go very well together, you know. No. Um, and so it, it created this weird tension um, between Biden sort of wanting to, to nail the, the debate lines and then Trump sort of, just wanting to go off the rails and and do his own thing, um, but it's yeah. but at the end of the day, it's not terribly surprising coming from President Trump um, that he wouldn't sort of just be on script, especially because uh, as we learned before, he wasn't doing a ton of de- he was my understanding was he wasn't doing a ton of debate prep, and I think it showed. Oh uh, yeah, well there there. Yeah, it's um, it's been an interesting time to be to be a political scientist for sure. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. 
Um, okay, so then we got tonight. Kamala Harris. Yeah. And Pence. Yeah. So I, I don't I don't I don't know what to think, man. Uh, <laughs> being honest, I know you're not a man, but that's me saying that. Uh Pence was saying made some points about like Kamala Harris like locking up you know, African American and she's like, We're just gonna mm-hmm. enforce policy. It seemed like it's not like they just want you know, but they want to restore democracy. So what does that even look like? Mm-hmm. What is that? Yeah, this was this was so I will say, you know, one thing that is worth emphasizing is that political scientists will will generally say that debates don't really matter very much. So these are okay. opportunities for for them to really like aim at the few undecideds that there are. There are not very many mm-hmm. undecideds in this election. There are usually more undecideds than there are in this one. Um but, you know, in general, the debates are not the most consequential part of the campaign. They're very high profile, but they're not, they don't move a whole lot of people. And what the president really needs right now is debates to move people. Um, so if a debate to sort of results in Democrats hating Trump and Republicans sort of digging their heels in with Trump, um, well, then that's not really going to move the needle much for him. And okay. Mike Pence didn't really do a whole lot to reach across the aisle, and neither did President Trump. What you really mm-hmm. saw was them playing to their base and saying, I am pro-life. I am, you know, the president has done all these great things for coronavirus, even though we've had over 210,000 dead from it. Um, right. You know, he was going after fracking and he's going after trade, but he wasn't really doing a whole lot to move people. I think that at the end of the day, this debate probably didn't matter, and that's ultimately a win for Harris and Biden. But one of the things that I think will not that I think will not go over well stylistically um, with women voters is that Vice, that Vice President Pence was interrupting Kamala a lot, and she didn't have a mm. whole lot of flexibility to speak up because, if, okay. as a woman, if you say, uh, "No, I'm talking now." Well, that can make you come off shrill or, you know, how many times have we heard those kinds of comments about angry or shrill or, you know, just needs to smile more. And and these things are are even truer of, of Senator Harris because she's a woman of color. And so there were a lot of times when she kind of just had to take it when Vice President um, Pence was speaking over over his time and interrupting her. And I don't. And they already have a huge gender gap, especially amid, among like suburban women. And I think that there are going to be a lot of women who look at at that dynamic between Pence and Harris and go, "I know that guy, and I don't like him." <laughs> yeah, because yeah, he did that. That's right. I noticed that he kind of yeah. like spoke over her, made the points, but she was able to defend herself. I don't know why the uh, the commentator didn't allow her to do that. He didn't give her any kind of very like, poorly. Yeah, it was a very poorly moderated debate. There were a lot of times. Yeah. I mean, I, I jokingly said thoughts and prayers to anyone whose drinking phrase was "Thank you, Vice President," um, because they're probably <laughs> blacked out by now. Um, because it, there were just so many times when she would say, "You know, you can have thirty seconds." Like, well, I need actually more time. It's like, no, you have the debate rules. Both teams agreed to the debate rules, play by the rules, and he just wasn't doing that. And that's when a good moderator is really important, and unfortunately, we just didn't have that. 
Do you think it mattered because it was in Utah and there's no people of color really <laughs> in Utah? Oh, man. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, there there wasn't really much of an audience. and But there, there right. are, it's true that there aren't many people of color in Utah, but, but there wasn't a whole lot of an audience. And so it was really just like, you know, a national, a national audience for this, but it was sort of, um, it, it, I believe that the, the moderator was from USA Today, which is a pretty centrist news, um, news source, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was an unfortunate dynamic and, it, and, you know, what, it, Vice President Pence ended up getting quite a bit more time because he went over and there just wasn't a whole lot of enforcement. But I think that, you know, there were, there were a lot of times when, Vice President Pence could have separated himself from the president's more controversial comments, um, mm-hmm. or he could have clarified the president, um, you know, or, you know, pushed back against the president's comments or said, well, what the president meant to say was this. But instead, when he was asked about um, whether they would accept the results of the election, regardless of who it was, he did not answer the question. So he was asked about, would you commit to a peaceful transfer of power? He did not answer. He dodged the question. And again, will you commit to a peaceful transfer of power is not the question that comes up in every debate. It's had to come up in these debates because of President Trump's comments. This would have been a good opportunity for the for Vice President Pence to say something like, well, he, President Trump didn't understand the question. Of course, we will commit to a peaceful transfer of power. You know, he could have he could have done something like that, and he just didn't. Yeah. And uh, at the end of the so, day, our democracy depends on on our, you know, being able to say, I, you know, I'm disappointed by the results, but I respect them, and I wish best the best to the winner. Like. That's how our elections work. Sometimes we win, sometimes we lose, and we depend on people accepting those outcomes. Yeah, and none of them have said anything in regard to that on the uh, Republican side. Yeah. yeah. They, they just kind of it's just let it like, go by the silence. wayside. Yeah. yeah. So, it's been very I guess, uh, waiting, so I guess we're waiting for next Wednesday. I think it's another presidential debate. Um, yep. <laughs> but I don't know how it's It's on the 15th, like, yeah. So, because yeah. like Trump has the COVID, he's recovering. Mhm. Oh. Yeah. By the way, I'm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there a pop- I, um? Is there a? Oh, oh go ahead. I I'll let don't. You go ahead. No, no. I just, I, I don't even. I there's no reason for these debates to be held in person for starters, like. Yeah, you know, there's a chance that he'll still be. There's a chance that he will still be contagious then, and so it's it's absolutely galling that that they would insist on on an in-person debate. I don't know if they will ultimately enforce it as an in-person debate. I hope that they do it on Zoom or you know whatever platform. But um, I think it'll be hard for the president to escape a lot of questions about COVID and the way that the White House has handled it, both nationwide and within the White House itself. Wow. So let me ask you this. On the the structure side, like, is there, like, a policy? Like, what if – have you given that any thought? Like, uh, what if something happens to Trump? What could happen? Like, for – just for shits and giggles, like, for the mm-hmm. audience, is there, a, is there something that – goes into place, like if something were to happen to him, would Pence step up and then it would be 
Pence versus Biden? Is that happened or? Right. So, so basically, it's com- so it's complicated by the fact that people have already voted. People are voting already. They already have absentee ballots across the country. Um, okay. I mailed my ballot on Monday. Um, Trump okay. is on the ballot. You know, um, so it's it's so too late to West. change that. <laughs> what was that? And so is Kanye West. Oh gosh. Oh man, I didn't actually see if Kanye was on the California ballot. Um, I don't think he was on the California ballot. I feel like I would have taken a funny picture of that if he were. Um, but I know Kanye is on some ballots, which right. that's a whole another conversation. Um, but uh, so basically, what would end up happening is when the electors vote, um, they would go from they would essentially no longer be bound to vote for uh for president trump so they could they would be what's referred to as faceless electors um which mm. uh which would mean that they could vote for mike pence or someone else of their choosing is my understanding um oh, so okay. they 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 in that scenario they could say we're going to all vote for John Kasich or Ted Cruz or, you know, whoever, um, they wouldn't be bound to vote for, um, they would not be bound to vote for Mike Pence um, or, or Donald Trump. But if the president were to, um, were to die from COVID after the election um, or, or certainly after the, between the voting, the electors voting, and the inauguration. So if this would happen in early early January, for example, or late December, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. then it would be Mike Pence because the electors would have already voted, and then it would go to the vice president, and then you would have to choose the vice president. So it would be very, wow. it's very complex. Yeah, it it would be a mess. It would be a mess. <laughs> I don't I don't want to swear on your podcast. I'd, I'd say the word that actually combined. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, it's fine, it's fine. But it begins uh, with the word cluster. It begins with the word cluster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and refers to, like, uh, uh, turkey feathers and removing them. <laughs> Rhymes with that. Rhymes with that. I'll let you... <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Wow. A lot of valuable information tonight. Uh, wow, uh, we're going to have to have you on to maybe help simplify some more things. Maybe after the election to talk about what's happening and what's going to be next. Um, I sure, that'd thank be you fun. For coming on, Miranda. I really appreciate Thanks you for having me. taking the time to ask, to answer the questions and all that. So uh, yeah, we'll have you on again. So thank you very much. Thanks. And uh, thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you, audience. So so tune in next time. All right, thank you. And uh, peace out, everybody.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.